being laid. And uh, here's how the church was birthed. Number one, Jesus rose from the dead. And he tells his disciples, hey guys, remember what I talked to you about before I died? And, you know, I I told you that there's going to be a comforter that comes. There's going to be a Holy Spirit that comes. He's going to give you power. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait. And uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he's going to give you power. And when he gives you that power, then you're going to be my witness. You're going to start here in Jerusalem, and then your influence and your witness is just going to multiply from Jerusalem to the ends of the world. And the story of the book of Acts is really the church, a story of the church growing and multiplying in its early stages. And in the first 16 chapters, we see all the different players that are involved in the church exploding and multiplying. You've got Peter, you've got Stephen, uh, you've got many different players. You've got Paul, you've got uh, Ananias that come and pray for Paul. You've got a lot of different people that are used by God in the expansion of the church. And then starting at chapter 16, the story shifts and it begins to focus on Paul who is like the greatest missionary probably the world's ever known. He's going from one city to the next, just as a wrecking ball for the gospel. Just, I mean, tearing down the strongholds of the enemy and and setting up churches in places where Jesus' name has never been heard. Right? And that's what his calling was. That's what his mission was. You go back to Romans and he says, I I don't want to go and build on a foundation that somebody else has laid. I want to go and I want to lay the foundation of Jesus in places where people have never heard of him before. And so Paul's calling was as an apostle, as a missionary, to go set up and establish churches. And from chapter 16 on, we're watching Paul's story kind of unfold. And the one that we've been in the last few weeks that's just been so exciting is what happened in Ephesus when Paul... Paul started the church there because it was all-out revival that broke out in Ephesus, right? We remember the story. I've, I've hammered this every week, but man, people repent. And when they repent, they tear down their idols. They get rid of their books of witchcraft. They get rid of the man-made idols that they had. They destroy them. Um, all the, In one day, the people come together. They repent and they say, hey, we've got to get rid of these idols. And so they bring their idols out into the town square, set them on fire. We found out that 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 was worth, in our time, about $4.9 million worth of witchcraft and satanic worship paraphernalia. Just lit it up. They didn't sell it. They didn't try to hold on to it and say, Jesus will serve you and this other little idol like some of us try to do. They said, no, we're getting rid of this junk. We're going to serve you. We're going to follow you. And so, man... Revival breaks out. Paul spends a couple years in Ephesus preaching the gospel. And Ephesus becomes the home base for this revival that spreads throughout Asia. Because it said that all of Asia heard about Jesus because of what was going on in Ephesus. Right? And now, last week, Paul gathers the, the leaders in the church of Ephesus. And he tells them, okay guys, I'm leaving. And you're never going to see me again. The Holy Spirit's let me know. I'm going to Jerusalem, and I've got to make my way to Rome. And this is goodbye. Right? He said, I've been constrained. In chapter 20, he said, I've been constrained by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem and then to be handed over to the Gentiles. And so Paul, where we're picking up now, is Paul making his way to Jerusalem. And what I want to talk to you about uh, this morning is... The gift of prophecy, because we're going to see this gift used in this passage. Um, just a quick, quick survey. 
Uh, how many people come from like Pentecostal charismatic backgrounds and when you hear prophecy, you kind of know what I'm talking about a little bit? few people. All right. We'll, we'll explain it as we go. All right. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this. Um, and uh, so we're going to get there. Let, let's read this passage and then we'll pray and then we'll, we'll jump into our, our text today. Chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. When he had parted from them, speaking of the people at Ephesus, the leaders at Ephesus, they set sail, and we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. This is an example of people through the Spirit telling Paul, hey, don't go. They're giving Paul a prophecy, basically. Verse 5. And when our days were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went aboard the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven. Remember the seven back in, in Acts chapter 6 that had been appointed to serve the needs of the widows in the church? This was, this was Stephen, who was a powerful man of God. All right? And so they came to his house. Well, Philip, sorry. Philip the evangelist. Stephen was long gone. He was the first martyr, remember. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus come down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. So this is a prophecy that God's given to, to uh, Agabus. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So he kind of gives a picture of what's going to happen. He uses the belt, binds himself up, and says, Hey, who, who owns this belt? Which was Paul. He's going to be bound up. He's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. Verse 12, When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the radical stuff that, that uh, Melissa was talking about in her devotion. Like, hey, I'm ready. Whatever God has for me, I'm going to do it. And he's told me. God told Paul, you've got to go to Jerusalem. So he said, hey, I'm ready to go. Why are, you, why are you making it harder than it already is? Verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And after these days we got ready, after, after these days we got ready, went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we need you this morning. We need you to speak to us. Lord, we want to understand what your word is saying to us today. And, and we want, Lord, we want everything that your word has to offer us. 
So Lord, we know that prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit, those are things that Lord, you want to use to build up and encourage the church. And so God, I pray that as we look at this gift of prophecy this morning, that you would teach us more about it and how to use it properly. Lord, that we wouldn't abuse it. That God, it would have its proper place. And uh, Lord, just, just use this today to speak to us for your glory and for Jesus Christ. I ask this. Amen. Amen. All right. So here's, here's what I want to do. The, the first thing that I want to do is, is just stop and, and ask the question, what did the Holy Spirit say? Right? What was He actually saying? Because we have a couple, we have a couple examples here in verse 20, uh, chapter 21, in, in verse 4, um, we found out the people in Tyree, they're saying, hey, don't go. Don't leave. The Holy Spirit's telling us, don't go. That's what we read. The Holy Spirit said, don't go through these people. Then we go a little further in Agabus. He gives his prophetic word through, through the kind of the sign thing of tying himself up. He says, hey, whoever owns this belt, they're going to be bound. They're going to be handed over to the Gentiles. And everybody in the room goes, that must mean Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Right. Right? They took this prophecy and they say, hey, this is what this has to mean. This has to mean that Paul shouldn't go to Jerusalem. If the Holy Spirit's telling us something bad's going to happen, then, then maybe he's doing this so that we can keep Paul from going to Jerusalem and being thrown into prison and handed over the Gentiles. Right? This is, this is what they thought the Holy Spirit was saying to them. But we see the Holy Spirit told Paul something a little bit different. You still have your Bibles open? Keep them open for a second. We're going to look at a few passages this morning. But, but go back to chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 21. The Holy Spirit's already been dealing with Paul. He's already been pre- preparing Paul for what's going to happen. He's been telling Paul, hey buddy, you're going. You're going to, to, to Jerusalem. And it's not going to be good for you when you get there. Chapter 19, verse 21. Now after these events which was the whole thing of the people destroying their idols after the seven sons of Sceva got all messed up by some demons. You can go back and read that story. It's, it's interesting. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So the Holy Spirit's told him, I'm going to Jerusalem, and then I'm going to Rome. Go to chapter 20, verse 22. Look at what Paul told the Ephesian elders as he's beginning to leave, as he's taken off. Now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit told Paul, you're going to Jerusalem. And he's constrained. It's basically like the Holy Spirit has, has put a leash around Paul and he's saying, hey buddy, we're going. He's constrained by the Spirit. He's going to Jerusalem. And he already knew. And he said, I, I'm not really sure what's going to happen to me there. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. He knows what's about to go down. The Spirit is telling him in every place, you're going to Jerusalem and suffering's on the way. And now we see these people, they're getting prophecies and they're hearing the same thing. The Holy Spirit's saying the same thing in every place. Guess what? The Holy Spirit never contradicts himself. He is the spirit of truth, so he's always going to say the same thing. And he's saying the same thing in Tyree, he's saying the same thing to Agabus. Hey, 
persecution's coming, Paul. You go to Jerusalem, persecution is, is coming. Now, the next thing I want us to see here is this. This might be scary for some of us, but this is the truth, okay? This is what happened. For some of us that have been in charismatic Pentecostal churches, when somebody says, thus saith the Lord, we go, oh, that's the, that's the bottom line. That's, the, that's it. Somebody said, thus saith the Lord, that's the trump card. Right? Some of you have been in places like this. Maybe not. I've seen it. But look, this is a scriptural example of a, the gift of prophecy being misapplied. We have an example of the early church receiving a prophetic word from God and they misapply uh, its application. They got a genuine word from God, but they got what they were supposed to do with that word wrong. Right? Now, when we've been studying the early church, I'm looking at this and I'm going, man, this is so great. They are so awesome. Everything they do is like right on, spot on. And here we have an example. The Lord shows us, hey, these were just people too. They weren't perfect. They weren't infallible. They were hearing from the Holy Spirit, but they got it wrong. This is what I want to visit with you for a minute about um, is the gift of prophecy. And the fact that as sinful creatures, we can legitimately hear from God, but we can be wrong about how we're to apply the prophecy that God may speak to us. We may be wrong about the direction that God tells us to go, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We could be wrong. I want us to look at a couple passages just so that we can talk about prophecy for a minute. Um, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's a gift given to the church for the encouraging and the building up and the expansion for Jesus to be glorified. It's a legitimate gift. And as I'm talking about this, I don't want you to go, oh yeah, here's an example. Here's why we don't need to operate in the spiritual gifts. Here's why we need to like just shut these things down. No, that's not what I'm getting at at all today. I want the fullness of what God has for us. And I believe prophecy and tongues... Somebody's going, oh, tongues, that's weird. I believe it's in operation today for the use, the edification of the church. And the Lord's laid this out for us, okay? So, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <sighs> Remember the Corinthian church. If you've ever read for, through the book of Corinthians, you've got to understand one thing. These people were in crazy town. Okay? I mean, that's the best way I can describe the Corinthian church. Man, they've got, they've got a guy that's sleeping with his stepmother and people are going... Man, look at the grace of God in this guy's life. He's got the freedom to sleep with his stepmom. Awesome. Paul has to rebuke him for that. No, you idiots. You don't use the grace of God for sin. Right? That's my paraphrase. Paul was a little nicer. Well, kind of nicer. He told him to turn this guy over to Satan, which most of us, we go, what? But yeah, I mean, 
that's for another day. Um, we've got people getting drunk as they come to take communion. Right? For real. We've got people just going crazy during worship services. Paul says, hey, God is a God of order, not of chaos. If there's an unbeliever in the room and they see you acting like a bunch of idiots, supposing to be spiritual, they're going to go, this is ridiculous, this is crazy. And they're going to leave and they're not going to believe in the power of God. But if they see you rightly using the gifts and the Word of God being used in the right way, they're going to be convicted. And the Word of God's going to lay open their heart. Right? And so, I mean, they have all sorts of problems. And Paul now is coming back to, to kind of uh, correct them on some of their uses of spiritual gifts. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. So there's a test for us. If somebody diminishes the deity of Christ, the deity of the Word made flesh, then hey, that person's not from God. But if he claims Jesus is Lord, hey, we're on the right track. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. These are spiritual gifts given to the church. So there's a lot of different ways that these gifts manifest themselves. And it's all from the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now here's, verse 7 is important. Because I want each of us to, to find the God-given spiritual gift that's within us. For some of us, it's just lying dormant. God has a gift that He wants you to use to, to, to build up the church, to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. He's got a gift that He wants you to use to help people who are lost come to find Jesus. He's got a gift for you. Look at what it says. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every person has a gift. Right? For to one is given the spirit of the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, and all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Each person has a gift that's to be used appropriately for the building up of one another. Some of you agree, some don't. That's alright. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. We are the body of Christ. We all have different functions. We all have different callings. We all have different giftings. And each one of us are called to get with God and, and to search the face of God to find out, hey, how am I to be used by God in building up the church and winning people to Jesus Christ? Skip down to verse 27. Now you 
are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed to the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, uh, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Just so you know, the implied answer is no. Not everybody does the same thing that everybody else does. It's because one person speaks in tongues doesn't mean everybody's going to. It's because one person has a gift of prophecy doesn't mean everybody's going to have that gift. Okay? Now look at what verse 31 says. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. You have a church that's abusing the spiritual gifts. Paul says, okay, here's what the gifts are supposed to do. Here's how they're supposed to operate. Let's rein it in a little bit. Hey, but don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop seeking after the Spirit of God. Don't stop searching for what your divinely appointed spiritual gift is. Seek after it. So that you can build other people up in their faith and and lead others to the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go to Romans 12. Oh, and just... Just so you know. <laughs> so cool. That both the places where the spiritual gifts are talked about, um, Paul says, okay, here's the gifts. Now let me show you what's the most important thing. You go to 1 Corinthians 13. Let me show you a better way. Love. If the gifts of the Spirit don't lead us to love, then they're not from the Spirit. Okay, chapter Romans 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That's just a little adjustment. Hey, buddy, don't think you're better than you are, because you're not. I know you like to hear that. I like to hear it too. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then look where we get to again. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So if these gifts don't lead us to love one another and to hate sin, well, these aren't really gifts of the Holy Spirit. Love what is good, abhor what is evil, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. This is what the Holy Spirit should be doing in our lives. And we should be seeking after gifts of the Spirit. We're seeking after God Himself. And then He'll give us the gifts that that He has for us. But we do this so that we can love one another. So we can honor one another. So we can build one another up. I know, I know that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are real because I've experienced them. Right? I've encountered them. I've had God do things in my life that are unexplainable apart from it being God doing it. Right? Just is. When I was 14, I had a pastor lay hands on me and say, someday you're going to be a pastor. 
And I completely forgot about that because I was 14 and I didn't want to be a pastor. So I set that one aside. And I'm like, yeah, well, I think you're wrong, buddy. You know? Um, and I forgot about that for many years until after I found out that I'd been appointed by, by the administrator of the Church of God in Kansas and Oklahoma, that I was given, you know, I was going to be the pastor of this church, and then God just brought that back to my memory. It's like, hey, remember this pastor that laid hands on you, told you? That was, that was me speaking to you, preparing you. I didn't know it. Two years before I became the pastor of this church, God spoke to me and said, James, you're going to pastor open door. And there are so many things that had to line up for that to happen, that it had to have been God that spoke that to me. Now, that was just kind of a word for me. I didn't share it with very many people. But it's a word for me, so I, I know. God works. I had one prophecy, um, and I think I've shared this before, but, but you know, I, I had a prophecy given to me uh, about the restoration of my family, and that one day I would speak a word to my family that would just kind of start the process of everything coming back together. And, you know, a year ago in February, I got to marry my mom and dad, remarry my mom and dad, after seven years of being separated. I mean, that was a word from God. And so I've experienced, I've encountered these things um, that have happened to me. Right? And, and so I know, I know that they're real. Now, here's what I, I want us to be careful of, though. When things like this happen, it's really awesome. And we like it. And what we can do is we can start searching after the gifts instead of searching after the giver of those gifts. And we can get so obsessed with the feeling that we get when God reveals himself in powerful ways that it's not just simply about Jesus and not about God anymore. It's about the feeling that we get when we're pursuing those gifts. Make sense? And, and I've seen, <laughs> I've been around people <laughs> where they announce themselves, hey, my name is so-and-so, and I have the gift of prophecy and interpretation of tongues. Bless God. <laughs> Praise the Lord, man. Whoa. <laughs> awesome. Is that on your card? <laughs> you know, I ran into people that like that. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And what can happen is we, people will experience these gifts and, and God will use them. And then they'll think, man, I'm, I'm kind of something else. I've got this gift of prophecy thing going on. And I'm speaking into people's lives and the things that I've said are happening. And it's like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm something. It happens. It happens. And that's so dangerous. If we don't use these gifts in humility... We don't use these gifts and in the back of our mind we're not thinking, you know, I could be wrong here. There's something wrong. You're not Jesus. Which means you can be wrong. Which means you can legitimately hear from God and misapply how that's supposed to be used. Oh, somebody didn't like that. That's alright. That's alright. Listen, the, the whole 
purpose of these gifts is to build each other up in love and to see people one to Jesus Christ. That's why we have these gifts. And that's why we should want to operate in them. Not to be able to walk up to somebody and say, Hey, I'm a prophet. Hey, I'm an apostle. Hey, I'm an evangelist. Forget all that. Just be who God's called you to be. Right? Without the titles, without, without all that stuff, just be who God's called you to be and let His gifts, let His Spirit flow through you and just be open to His promptings. Amen. You know, the first couple times, it, listen, I've, I've given words to people. And the first couple times you do it, it is awkward and it is scary. It is. But you step out in obedience and you believe, hey, God, if you've laid this on my heart to say to somebody, I'm going to do it. And Lord, just help me not to say anything wrong. And if I'm wrong, don't let them receive it. We should approach the gifts of the Spirit with humility, not not with spiritual pride. I think that this situation should confirm to us that God can tell us something And it could be right on, but we could misapply. We could misapply it. Or, you might think you're hearing from God, but you're not. We've got to check ourselves. Let's not just get so, you know, and I'm not not worried about this. But, you know, um, we shouldn't just be so willy-nilly with the gifts of the Spirit that we go... Every time we hear something, every time we feel something, we just go right out and do it. Scripture says, test the spirits. Make sure you know that this thing really is from the Lord, and maybe not from the burrito that you ate last night. So the gift of prophecy demands caution. Because listen, when, when you're prophesying to somebody, you're speaking to them, you're doing that in the authority of Christ. Right? You're doing that saying, hey, I'm the mouthpiece of Jesus right now. I'm going to speak this to you. And and if you say something wrong, you're going to bring disrepute to the name of Christ. So you should do this with humility. You should do this with caution. In the Old Testament, the gift of prophecy was so highly regarded that if somebody claimed to be a prophet and they gave a prophecy and it didn't come about, you know what they told them to do? You can go back and read it. Deuteronomy 18 verse 20. They said, hey... If they get it wrong, you take that fellow outside the camp, you get some rocks, and you throw those rocks at him till he's dead. Because he assumed to speak for God. And he, he wasn't speaking for God. That's how seriously God takes <laughs> prophecy. Right? Okay. Now, Here's what I'm going to say. And I think I've made this clear, but I want, I want to say this. Just because people have gotten prophecies wrong doesn't mean that we throw that gift out. Okay? I, I think you've heard me say that, but I want to say it again, just to be clear. Just because some bozo got on TBN in 1988 and gave 88 reasons why Jesus was coming back in 88 and was 88 reasons wrong, <laughs> just because that happened doesn't mean we throw this gift out. I mean, what... What? There's a risk associated with it because we're sinful people. Right? In the early church, they were striving, they were seeking after God, but they, they got this wrong. And just, just because there's a risk associated with it doesn't mean that we stop doing it. What if you lived your life like that? 
If we lived our life just saying, oh, this is risky, I'm not going to do it, we would all be in padded rooms right now. Right? None of us would have kids. Because <laughs> none of us are promised perfect kids that aren't going to rebel and, 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 you know, just be great kids. We're not promised that. We're not promised that when we get into our cars and, and drive home that we're not going to get in a car wreck and die. That's a risk that we all take. And we take risks all the time. So just because there's risk associated with it, don't, don't throw it out. Don't do that. You know, if that's, if that's what Paul wanted the, the church to do, he would have told the Corinthians to stop trying to operate in the gifts altogether. Because, like I said, crazy town. He would have said, hey guys, just stop. Just quit. I'm going to send you some letters. Just read those letters and that's all. Okay? That's what he would have done. But he didn't. He understood that there's a risk associated with it. And, and, and that's okay. Now, let's go back to this prophecy that was given. Um, here's what happened. God gave the church a prophecy. And we have to ask the question, why? I think the answer to that question is, he was preparing Paul for what lie ahead for him in his life. He was getting him ready. Right? Now, the early church took it and interpreted that, hey, Paul, don't go. Stay with us. Don't go to, and, and be imprisoned and, and go to Rome. Don't do that. Prophecy was misapplied. It was misinterpreted. Um, and here's, here's what happens. Here's what we see. The word came from God, but because it was applied and interpreted by men, they got that part wrong. And that's the danger we all face. Okay? Do, do, you, do you agree? That's the danger we all face. Whether it's with prophecy or even just reading Scripture. Because you can read Scripture and you can apply it a certain way and it can be wrong. Way wrong. Okay? Listen, people who teach all kinds of heresies, they have Scriptures to back up what they're saying. Okay? They've interpreted it wrong. Usually what happens is you'll take one little scripture that you like and you say, oh yeah, here. Here it is. And you rip it out of the context of the chapter. You rip it out of the context of the book itself. You rip it out of context of the whole story of the Bible. And then you have... <laughs> you have really false, false prophecies, false, false words, false doctrines that creep into the church. Right? The whole... Prosperity thing. God wants you to be blessed and rich. Some people are going to be blessed and rich. And God's given them that gift to further the kingdom. But for some people, like Paul, he, he wants them to, hey, I want you to go without. And I want you to show the world that I'm enough. Right? Oh, goodness. It's all right. It's the truth. Read all the Bible. You'll find out it's the truth. Um, the people of Tyre and even at Caesarea, they received a prophecy. They received a true word from God, the Holy Spirit. They misapplied the prophecy. They thought they were telling him, hey, don't, don't go. And that was wrong. They were, it was meant to prepare Paul for the trial that awaited. Um, and, and here's the thing. We have very clearly that the gift of prophecy is meant to encourage people. All gifts of the Spirit, they're meant to encourage people, right? And so if you get a gift, you, you hear from God that, hey, prison and 
punishment's coming, Paul. Wouldn't you think that, hey, if we're going to encourage, we should tell Paul not to go? That would be the most encouraging thing to say. But it wasn't the most encouraging thing they could say. In fact, Paul said, you guys are breaking my heart right now. We have to stop and really think and consider how this was an encouraging word. Number one, it was an encouraging word because it gave the people that Paul administered to an opportunity to prepare themselves for Paul's departure. It gave them the opportunity to get their minds straight, get their hearts ready to to say goodbye to Paul and realize, hey, we're not going to see him again. Right? I mean, wouldn't you want that opportunity? Someone you loved, you knew you were never going to get to see them again? Wouldn't you want the opportunity to tell them goodbye in a proper way? That's, that's what these people were given the opportunity to do because the Holy Spirit did that. Secondly, it gave Paul the opportunity, as in the case with the Ephesians, to give some final, final words of wisdom and instruction. He knew he wasn't going to get to see these people again. And so he says, hey, here's my departing words. Here's what I want you to know. He told the Ephesians, hey, there's wolves that are going to come and and try to destroy this church. Be ready for them. Right? And when you get to the end in the book of Revelation, we found out that the Ephesians, hey, they were pretty good at doctrine. They sniffed out false teachers real quick. They took what Paul said to heart. Now, they lost their first love in the process, but but they had taken Paul's word seriously. And that helped them to stay rooted in God's word. And the third thing, third way this was encouraging, is for Paul, he knew exactly what was going to happen next, right? Isn't, isn't that encouraging? When, when you know, hey, God's ordering my steps and here's what's about to happen. Right? Um, any baseball fans in the room at all? One. Two. Okay. Nobody likes baseball. It's, it's alright. It's only the American pastime, but whatever. Um, no, I'm joking. Well, in baseball, the best hitters, um, the reason why they're the best hitters is they watch films of pitchers. And they watch pitchers in certain situations to learn what pitches they like to throw in certain situations. And so the best hitters will gamble, basically. They'll know the pitch count, and they'll know, hey, this guy, in this situation, he throws a fastball. So I'm swinging. It's coming, I'm swinging. And, and, and if a good... If a good hitter knows the next pitch that's coming, he's just going to tear the cover off the ball. He's going to hit it hard and he's going to hit it far. Right? It's just, that's, that's the game of baseball. And for Paul, man, spiritually, this guy hits good. <laughs> right? And he knows the next pitch that's coming. And so guess what? When he gets imprisoned in Jerusalem... We're going to read about him going and he's going to stand before these pagan rulers and he's going to present the gospel. He's not going to whine. He's not going to gripe about it. He's going to say, hey, this is the very opportunity God's given me. I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to preach the gospel to Felix. I'm going to preach the gospel to King Agrippa. I'm going to preach the gospel to the royal household when I get to Rome. I'm ready for this. And so when, when it comes, he's re- man, he knocks the cover off the ball. He's ready for it. He's ready for it. And that's what we'll find out as we go, as we finish up the book of Acts. Now, here's where I want us to apply this to ourselves. Um, no matter what may come our way, I think Paul provides us with an ex- excellent example of how to handle it. Right? This wasn't a feel-good prophecy. 
You're going to jail, imprisonment, suffering, torture. Right? Nobody wants to get that word. Be honest. Nobody wants, nobody wants to get the word, hey, you're, you're going you're gonna to preach the gospel and get thrown in jail. Hallelujah. Right? Nobody wants that. But that's the word Paul got. But what did Paul do? He didn't gripe about it. He didn't whine about it. He didn't go, why me, God? Look at all the churches I've planted for you. God, look at all the hard work I've done for you. Lord, you owe me. That's how some of you would be if you'd done all the things that Paul had done. You'd be telling God, Lord, look at all the stuff I've done for you. You're going to put me in prison? Some of you, Lord, I've raised my kids right. Now look at what they're doing. How could you, God? Some of us, Lord, I've given like you've told me to give. But I'm not getting blessed like all these people on TV tell me I'm going to get blessed. What's up with that, God? I'm doing what you told me to do. Why aren't good things happening? Here's the thing. God God isn't for the good in the moment. He's not for our happiness in the moment. He's for our happiness in the eternal scheme of things. And when he says he's making all things work together for our good, that's what he means. And so whether it's, you know, finances or family or whatever that's going crazy. If you're a true believer and Christ is your Lord, you can know, hey, I don't know how this is going to work out, but in the end, it's going to be for good. And I may not see how this works out till I get to heaven, but in the end, it's going to be for my good. And I trust God. I trust Him. And so I'm not going to whine and I'm not going to doubt and I'm not going to say, why me or why God? I'm just going to say, okay, God, I don't understand trust you. Man, don't you think Paul in his flesh had some questions? Surely he had to have had some, some thoughts pop into his mind like, Lord, I've done this work for you. Lord, all I want to do is see your kingdom come. Why do I have to go to Rome? Why do I have to go to be imprisoned? Why can't I keep doing what I'm doing? You know he had to have, in moments, not that he ever said it, But in moments, you know he had to have thought it. Just like we all think it to ourselves. I know you guys are spiritual. You guys are just like Paul. And I praise God for such a spiritual church in this room this morning. Man, you guys, man, you you need to teach me how to do this, okay? Um, But I just love Paul. Lord, whatever you want, just let it be for your glory. Let, let this thing go down in such a way that more people come to know Jesus. If we lived our life like that, I'm telling you, people would be drawn to Jesus. If, if we would just live like He really is worth laying our life down for, people would be drawn to Jesus. But we don't. <laughs> we want the stuff of this world... And we want Jesus to be our little genie Santa Claus that gets us the stuff of the world. And that's not what he's there for. Jesus is the gift. He is enough. He is the treasure. Not the stuff of this world. 
And He is, if you will trust Him and obey His Word and live in His grace, He is going to work all things out for your good. I believe that. So this morning, I, I want us just to be open. Be open to the prophetic. Be open to the gifts of God's Spirit. But be cautious. Be cautious and realize that God's Spirit isn't about your happiness, but He's about bringing glory to the Father. He's about bringing glory to the Son. And if you'll live a life that, that is, is for His glory, you'll find ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in that. I promise you. I promise you. Let, let's seek to embody Paul's response to adversity. That no matter what I go through, Jesus, be lifted high. That's, that's what we want. When we're in the valley, Jesus be lifted high. When we're on the mountaintop, Jesus be lifted high. When I'm sick, Jesus be lifted high. When I'm healthy, Jesus be lifted high. When I'm, when I'm doing well financially, Jesus be lifted high. And when the bills are stacking up, Jesus be lifted high. No matter what, in little or in much, Jesus be lifted high. Let's, tap, let's let that be our heart's cry. If we'll do that, man, we'll find... We'll find true fulfillment. We'll find genuine satisfaction and happiness. Because Jesus is the well that won't run dry. Right? He's, he's the drink of water that if you drink from Him, you'll never thirst again. Jesus, not the stuff of this world. Would you stand? Would you just take a moment, bow your heads. Just ask God to seal this word in your heart right now.